Yo, hungry homies. Today's show brought to you by our good pals at Made In Cookware. That's M-A-D-E-I-N. Ditch your cheap hand-me-down pan and meat made in a new cookware company from Austin, Texas that is changing the game for at-home chefs by selling only online made-in offers American-made cookware at half the price as other premium brands. You only need to upgrade one pan. Well, made-in will let you do that. Jump on there and they let you buy a la carte so you don't need to spend money on pieces that you're not going to use. Free shipping, lifetime warranty, 100-day free trial. Better tools make better food, my hungry homies. Visit madeincookware.com and use offer code CARBS for 20% off your first order. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com and offer code CARBS. My taste buds today show also brought to us by our pals at Diet Coke. Diet Coke is shaking things up this summer with a bold new look and four new delicious flavors. The OG Diet Coke still has the same great taste, of course, but listen to what they've added. Listen to these flavors. Feisty cherry, twisted mango, zesty blood orange, ginger lime. These are bold flavors, so bold you will not be able to pick a favorite. I am going to tell you right now, I'm drinking zesty blood orange over rice with a delicious chicken sandwich. It is my combo of the summer. That's the house combo. Zesty blood orange and a little bit of chicken sandwich. Whether you are a longtime fan or you just want to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste. You'll see what I'm talking about. Diet Coke because you can. Couple great things going on this week on The Ringer. Check out all of The Ringer's social channels. TheRinger.com, at The House of Carbs, The Sports Guys, Instagram, check the Twitter. We are taking over Vegas. There is a great big number of Ringer personnel traveling to Las Vegas for summer league and for summer eating. Get on all of that stuff. You're going to see lots of pictures, lots of video, and lots of stories about Summer League basketball. Also, on the Rigger Podcast Network, against all odds with the Cousin Sal, we are going to see the Cousin Vegas. You'll see his beautiful face, hopefully jamming some fried chicken into his mouth. Uh, value bets in Major League Baseball this week on Against All Odds with the Cuss. All right, all right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades, my famished friends. Here we are. We're back with another house of carbs. The food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people. Part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My hungry homies, I am your hungry host, Joe House. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, We have the perfect guest for today's show, Brooks Headley, with his brand new cookbook, The Superiority Burger Cookbook. The vegetarian hamburger is now delicious. 
great conversation with Brooks about all kinds of food that is especially exquisite because you can go to your local market and get fresh produce right now. Of course, we have food news, and I'm very proud to say that with Juliet, we have a story about a UK contender trying to enter the US marketplace. We declared our independence, but we're willing to let the UK still penetrate. But let's jump into that belly with our hungry homie, Brooks Headley, and talk about the superiority burger. Let's get down with that recipe and get in that belly with Brooks. All right, my taste buds, I have to be honest with you. Uh, I have no idea how, how to introduce today's guest because he's a king of two worlds, two of my favorite worlds. We'll, we'll start with food. This gentleman was named the best pastry chef in these United States of America in 2013 by the James Beard Foundation for his dessert work at the legendary... New York City Italian restaurant, Del Posto. He's the author of two cookbooks, Fancy Desserts, and and the one we're going to talk about today, Superiority Burger. Speaking of Superiority Burger, he is the chef owner of a restaurant that New York Times restaurant critic Pete Wells called the most radical restaurant in New York City. He is also the drummer of two kick-ass, well, more than two, but two kick-ass seminal hardcore bands from the 90s, Universal Order of Armageddon and Born Against, Brooks Headley, welcome to House of Carbs. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's, that's quite an intro there. Thank you. Uh, you deserve it. Um, I'm not sure if you... We're we're pretty close in age, so maybe you've seen this skit. Have you seen this skit on Saturday Night Live with Chris Farley, where it's the the Chris Farley show, and he has guests on, and he's a little intimidated by the guests, so he kind of nerds out a little bit. Um, have you seen that skit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I think I've seen that for sure. Yeah. So there's going to be a little bit of that. I just have to tell you up front. I'm going to say, uh, do you remember that time Born Against played with you know X band? And 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 then I'm just gonna and then I'm gonna say oh that was awesome so that's that's the way this is gonna go. Uh, well, I have, if, yeah, I have my, it, it was a while ago, so my memory gets a little hazy. Not because there was um, heavy drugs or alcohol being used; it's just time. I I understand. I'm I'm older than you, <laughs> so I, I I'm gonna get some of this wrong too. Um, right. For the for 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 folks uh, that may not um, be familiar with what you're doing. Now it's Superiority Burger or what you were doing previously at Del Posto. Let's kind of do a little bit of origin story, if you don't mind. Um, you were playing music in bands. That's what came first, right? Yeah, that was my first not real job. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you find your way from you know playing in bands in the late 80s, early 90s um, into the food scene? Um, just kind of randomly got a, um, randomly got a kitchen job that happened to be a very, very good restaurant at the time. When I answered the ad in the DC city paper, there was a, in the classified, then there was a fax number and I faxed a fake resume to get the job, but I had no <laughs> idea where, 
where the restaurant was or anything about it. It just said, pastry assistant wanted. And that was it. And what was on the fake resume? Oh, the fake resume was great because it included things that would have been of no use to the person at the fancy restaurant. Um, I think I said I worked at the University of Maryland Salon, which I had gone to, but I'd never actually worked there. Um, <laughs> so, so, so a pastry chef at a, at a fancy restaurant would have looked at that and been like, well, that's of no use to me anyway. So, But um, I had just graduated from school. I had an English degree. I lived in D.C. when you graduate and you have an English degree and you live in D.C., you're pretty much unemployable unless you work in an office. So I worked in an office for two weeks. And um, after the second week, I was pretty much ready. It was, it was the worst. So my ex-girlfriend at the time found this ad in the city paper that said, pastry assistant wanted and kind of like as a gag, I applied for it. So, um, and what was the restaurant? Uh, Galileo, which at the time <laughs> in the late night was like, you know, probably one of the best restaurants in DC. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy ended up being, it was Roberto Dona, right? Yeah. And the pastry chef of this woman, Laurie Allen Weber, who basically taught me everything. Um, in the year that I worked there because I knew nothing about dessert at all. I'd never even, I mean, with the exception of like my grandmother cooking, making cookies and stuff, I'd never made a dessert or even thought about it. I wasn't even that crazy about dessert. I mean, I thought gummy bears were kind of cool, but, um, <laughs> but I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a creme anglaise was. I didn't know what a pas de choux was. Um, I didn't know how to make ice cream. I'd never even thought about it Um But being in a band, you're basically like, you know, especially like, you know, like a crappy punk band that doesn't make any money. Like all of the, your effort goes into doing this thing that you do kind of just for yourself or the three other people that are in the band, like creating the songs, practicing the songs, finding a practice space where you're not going to just, you know, annoy the neighbors enough that they're, they're going to tell you, you can't practice. So it's all about creating this thing that doesn't exist and then making it exist. And whether it makes you money or, or gets you any sort of like accolades or whatever, none of that really matters. And working in a kitchen, making desserts weirdly felt similar because especially for desserts, you're, you're not, um, you're not working the line. You're not taking a steak and denaturing the proteins and cooking it. And in the end you have a cooked steak. Or, you know, you're, you're taking flour and sugar and butter and making something that didn't exist 20 minutes ago. You know? So that was very, uh, I found that very uh, interesting. Yeah, and it sounds like a kind of a natural fit, the way your brain works, the way your brain is wired. Um, that same kind of, I guess, intrigue, curiosity. Um, my, my question though, is how did you fake it when you arrived at, at, at Roberto Dono's Galileo, probably, you know, one of the top three restaurants in Washington, DC, you sent in a fake resume. Did they have, you know, were they, were they gentle with you? How did they, you, you walked in there, um, probably not knowing very much. Oh, I mean, I knew nothing. And the funny part was that I remember walking into, I'd never been in a professional kitchen before, but walking into that kitchen like the second I walked in because I showed up to 
my interview with Laurie, the pastry chef, I, I wore a suit too because I <laughs> thought you wore a suit to job, a job interview, you know. And I had I printed out my fake resume and had it in the Manila envelope, yeah. you know. Yeah. And she showed. She met me in like the private dining room, and she had already been working for a few hours. It was a Saturday, so her apron was like kind of splattered with um like strawberry puree, and and um not that she's a messy person, but you know that's the point of it. She was working. Yeah, she was working. Um, but then she was like, okay, so let's, we talked for a couple minutes and then she took me into the kitchen. And then the second I walked into the kitchen, it was like, I knew that I was going to work in a professional kitchen for the rest of my life. Like I knew it on the spot. It was, it was a weird thing. It was super Whoa, weird. You had an epiphany? Really yeah, I guess. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I know that's like, kind of like de rigor, like everybody says that like, Oh, I had this epiphany or whatever, but like it was fully an epiphany. I'm a person who doesn't really believe in epiphany. So, so, so that's, that's what it was. Now, um, how did you take, obviously you had a wonderful mentorship. She was very gentle with you. She, uh, broke you in and, and, um, you know, what a way to well, enter the food world, right? Well, sure. I mean, basically, and this is something that I look for when I hire people in, is it doesn't matter what you know or because any restaurant, like they have ways of doing things and they can, all of those skills, they, they can be taught. But the thing you can't teach is complete and utter enthusiasm um, and sort of commitment to the cause, whether that's whatever, you know? So I was, I had decided that I was going to be completely committed and enthusiastic about this stuff that I knew nothing about. Um, so it was, uh, the kind of thing where, when the very first time that Lori taught me how to pipe pat a shoe to make a perfect little, perfect little round ball without like a tip on them. And like, it, it was like, it was instant. Like I knew it was like, it's like, I knew how to do this. Like maybe I, I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not sure why, but, uh, but it was so much fun that I just kept going with it. Even even if like the, for the first chunk of time I worked there, I was dipping strawberries and chocolate for like pedophore plates or, um, you know, uh, cutting up little rounds of cookies. It all seemed incredibly exciting to me because even up to, to that point, I'd always been kind of obsessed with food, just had never thought about it as a job. Yeah. Um, so at, at that time you were still playing music. How did you balance your your fledgling um, interest, enthusiasm, commitment to the food scene with what you were doing with music? Uh, well, I, I had just graduated from school with my English degree, and the, the band I was in at the time, Skull Control, had just broken up. So I didn't, ha I wasn't in a band. So um, there was no conflict so at the moment? No, there wasn't any conflict. I've had, and since that time, I mean, this is, we're talking like 20 years now, like, yeah. I've definitely had some relapses where I've like started new bands and done other new things. Um, but, uh, it's never been, it's always been like in tandem with working in restaurants. So, so uh, fast forward, I want to pick your brain a little bit about your experience at, at Del Posto. H how'd you find your way there? Um, I, my girlfriend at the time was, lived in New York. So she basically was like moved to New York or it's all over for the most part. And I was, I was 35. Like I had no interest in moving to New York. I mean, why would you want to live in New York? It's expensive. It's like, you know, it's never, it's, it's just a mess living here. Um, but 
I did and ended up taking a <clears throat> taking a job at a restaurant on the upper on the upper west side that wasn't that great. And then ooh, the second I learned that Del Posto didn't have a pastry chef, this would have been in two thousand eight, um, I basically kind of forced my way into the job. Even though I was even though I've been doing it for a while, I was totally not qualified to run a pastry program of that um, size and a staff of that size. And I, I guess I was so naive that I thought I didn't think about all the problems that would come with that. So, but uh, it worked and I worked there for seven years. So, Yeah. I, I want to make a quick aside um, for, for both uh, uh, of the stories that we've um, you've, you've, talk through um your your girlfriends were pretty important in getting you going here uh is is, is uh, i mean we we have to give props to the girlfriends right <laughs> sure yeah, yeah no they uh they like it was without their um sort of influence then yeah i wouldn't have ended up either working in a restaurant or in new york city so it's cool. so <laughs> yeah right um I do. I dare ask: Was was the the pivot to superiority burger? Was there a girlfriend involved with that as well? No, that was that was that was totally me. That was that was you. Okay, that was that was a built up frustration in um, working in fancy restaurants because the whole nature of working in a very expensive fancy restaurant is you're cooking for very wealthy people, um, and your friends can't really come to the restaurant, so. And that, that was something that initially when I started doing it, like I was so excited about the cooking process and the food that it didn't really bother me. But then it sort of started to bother me because I was like, well, this, it costs, uh, it costs $200 to eat here. Like my friends can't come see what I'm doing. Like that's, and then, and then I sort of got used to it. And then in the end, right before I had left, it was, it became really clearly like I didn't, I wasn't into this seen at all because as much as I learned a lot and experienced a lot, the fact of the matter was like people, my people that I knew can't afford to be a part of this. And that was a total bummer. So the now, I, superior superiority burger is vegetarian. Yeah. Have you been practicing a practicing vegetarian for a long time, your whole life? How, how long has vegetarianism been important? I mean, I I was vegetarian for a really, really long time. Um, part of that, I mean, basically because of the music. Um, like, I mean, like the punk rock world, like most people are vegetarian, at least in the scene that I was in. So that was just kind of second nature. Like we would actually, it was funny because like, I remember going to a grocery store um, with some, because a lot of times on tour, we would just go to a grocery store and buy food and then cook it at someone's house. Right. Um, because if you're vegan or vegetarian in, in the middle of the country, that's like the easiest way and cheapest way to make stuff as long as you have, you know, somebody's parents' house to cook food in or whatever, um, which was typically the thing in that, that time going on tour because there wasn't any like serious partying situation. It was like drive 14 hours, play the show, go cook some, go cook some vegetables and then drive another 14 hours for the next show, you know, so. But I remember funny things like, you know, we'd be in line with a bunch of potatoes and some onions and there'd be someone buying like a pack of bacon in front of us. And, you know, you'd sort of weirdly like feel sorry for the person. Be like, oh, you just don't know. 
oh, you know, you're, you're buying bacon, you know. <laughs> Well, I, I have to confess, uh, I love bacon. I've loved it my whole life. Although uh, I, I, I can relate to what you're describing in terms of the scene that you were in. I, my own self, was in college and uh, for two years was a vegetarian and was cooking in my dorm room against the rules on a hot plate and going to the, the food co-op in Worcester, Massachusetts and buying black beans and rice and, and cheese to make, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, vegetables to put in there, my own meal, tried to stay off the food plan as long as I, I could. I got, um, pulled into the, the Dean's office. I had to explain to him why it was, I didn't want to pay for the food plan because it was, um, a heavy meat, uh, thing. But, um, uh, all, all, all of what you're describing, um, very relatable in terms of both the music scene and, uh, kind of the, the food scene. So, uh, in terms of the the superiority burger concept, the idea, how long did you have that in your head as a thing that you wanted to go try um, next as your your post Del Posto experience? I mean, it, it sort of came up. It wasn't a total plan the whole time. I, I, I know lots of people that work in restaurants, like, you know, especially like when I worked Del Posto and like, a younger kid would start working and you could see in their eyes and the way they would talk is like, they have this plan. Like by the time they're 25, they're going to be the chef at a restaurant. By the time they're 30, they're going to own a restaurant. Um, and it's kind of fun to watch, especially when I was in that world, you know, because it's a pretty intense, uh, cooking environment to be in. So, but I never really have had any kind of plan ever, um, ever in my life for anything. It's just things just kind of, would happen, I guess. So yeah, you had two good girlfriends. That was helpful. <laughs> I guess maybe uh, the and near the last few years, I was working at Delta, so I was I was also doing uh, pop ups for Superiority Burger. So, but not in any situation like I was going to turn it into a business because I have no idea how to do anything business wise. So. Um, and then just kind of, it really just kind of happened. It wasn't necessarily a plan, although you could probably talk to people I knew, you know, 20, 25 years ago before I had anything to do with restaurants. And they would probably say like, oh yeah, of course you said you were going to open up a vegetarian, like kind of like fast food place or whatever. So. And, and so, um, with the pop-ups you had the opportunity, where did superiority, uh, where'd the burger come from? Um, it was kind of a thing that we would just make for fun for family yeah. meal, the restaurant. Yeah. And then, or I would make it for my, my, my pastry staff, you know, just like after service or we'd make it, you know, the way a restaurant works is like, it's really intense. And then near the end, things tend to get real scattered. Like you're not putting out as many plates, but you're still there. So you kind of need to figure out something to do. So in those like weird, like, 11 p.m., 12 a.m., 1 a.m. times where you're just waiting around for the last tables to order food. Um, we would, like, mix up batches of burgers and then cook them and give them to the staff, you know. And it was funny because the guys that worked, guys and girls that worked the meat roast station were, you know, about as not non-vegetarian as possible. Right. Started to, like started to like the veggie burgers and I was like, well, that's a good sign, you know? So, yeah. So when you made the the decision that you're going to leave Del Posto, did you know, did you have the space for superiority burger already lined up? Had you already said, this is my next move or how did that go down? Yeah. 
we, I mean, I, I, um, I cobbled together a bunch of money with some friends and we, with like kind of the bare minimum, were able to find a space, um, quietly build it out to what we needed to be. It was a pre-existing restaurant, so it, didn't, it wasn't a whole lot of work, but just a little construction. Um, and then the plan was always just, we were going to open as a surprise. It was, there was going to be no like public, public relations onslaught. So like food blogs, but like, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. Holy <laughs> shit, this is coming. And I wanted it to just be like one day we just opened and we yep. almost did that. We almost did that. We got up until like the day before. And then we got, we got busted by a, an unnamed food blog that I will not name. <laughs> oh, they, they sniffed but, you out. But, 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 but we made it all, all the way up until um, basically the day before. So, And that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do because, you know, we were slow for a while when we first <laughs> opened because nobody, nobody knew we existed. You know? right. I, just, I, was, I, was, I was fully committed to, to doing that and we did it. So. Well, and that, that, I guess in some respects, did that permit you to kind of experiment a little bit and, and find what, you know, the pallets in the neighborhood were into? Or uh, would you have preferred the the onslaught that you currently experience? Um, I mean, it was good. It was just like the way the way it happened. I wouldn't change any of it. So, yeah. um, and the plan was always to kind of just have this really small menu, and and also have really good uh, gelato and sorbet. Um, so small savory menu, like five or six things, and then but then like the same like I I we bought the same exact ice cream machine that I used at fancy restaurants, which was like, which was a machine that's, that was more expensive than like all of the construction and all of the other equipment combined <laughs> because, um, ice cream machines are like a good ice cream machine is, is very, very, very expensive. Um, but yeah, and that was it. So that was just like, these are the things I know. I know how to make these few sandwiches and the salad. And then I know how to make ice cream. So we should definitely, we should definitely have good ice cream. And, that also um, was funny too, because what I didn't realize that when you open up a vegetarian restaurant, which we are, because we do use a little bit of dairy, use some cheese, and we use milk for the ice cream, um, you're actually sort of opening up a vegan restaurant because you can't open up a vegetarian restaurant that doesn't have a hundred percent vegan options, um, yep. because because then you're just kind of a jerk, because you're almost there, and then. We also have a limited amount of space. The 300 square feet is pretty small space. So then it became this thing where if I wanted to use cheese or dairy in a savory dish, we just didn't have enough space to store two chunks of mise en place. So we just ended up like skewing harder and harder vegan. So like to this day, like I would say 95% of the menu is vegan, except for really, except for the ice cream. Um, and that sort of annoys the people that are vegan because they're like, well, you're so close. Why don't you just go all the way? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastry chef. I've milk proteins are sort of my life. So, and I know how to make ice cream like that. So I'm not going to change that, but I will make you a vegan ice cream too. You know, so. so you, you open the restaurant in June of 2015 and the cookbook yeah. has in it like 110, 125 recipes these are all things that you've served at the restaurant over the, you know, coming up on, well, it's, it's three years now. Um, yep. 
How much? How many of these did you kind of have in a notebook ready to go? And how many of these have 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 evolved from the experience of of actually doing Superiority Burger? Oh, I would say probably. I mean, there's the burger and the sloppy Dave and the burnt broccoli salad, which was the, kind of like the core of the initial menu and the um the thing we call the hippie wrap. Yeah. Everything else were every all of the other dishes were specials that we ran, and some of those specials turned into things that we run every day, even today. And some of those were things that we ran once or twice, and some of those were things that we ran just for like a seasonal the seasonal availability of them. But but as opposed to a cookbook where every, all of the recipes are things that like you know a recipe tester and a cookbook author made up in in a studio, like 100 percent right. of the things and. In the SB cookbook, were produced and sold for money. So, and and what do you do about um, sourcing? I mean, New York City's pretty great in terms of availability, and the Mid Atlantic region, all, all on up into New England, you can get some pretty great um, produce. Uh, how do you go about that? Uh, well, we're lucky because the main thing we sell is the burger, which is fairly inexpensive to make. So it kind of wore, turned into this thing that was, like I said, this wasn't a plan because I didn't have any plan. Um, The profit margin was high enough that it allowed me to buy really high quality produce from the green market and then sell that in the, in the special salads and stuff like that. And for those sorbets, um, which sort of flies in the face of, of at least people I know that, come from the fine dining, fancy restaurant world and open up more casual places. It's it always tends to be this thing where it's like, they're kind of dumbing down the way they cook and turning it into this thing that, that can be replicable and, um, you know, less like a, a less expensive ingredients or whatever. Whereas here, you know, when I go to the market, I buy the same stuff that all of the fancy restaurants are buying. I, I know that because I, we're all in line together at the market with the same blue bags, you know, <laughs> which I kind of like because they're selling it in, in the context of, say, uh, you know, $150, $200 tasting menu, and we're selling it for 7 bucks in a little paper boat, which yeah. I really, I really, really get off on that. So. And, and the, you know, uh, your experience, I... I have not been down um, to the Lower East Side to check out what the lunchtime crowd is like down there, but you know it's it's kind of legendary how crazy um, it is, and you know obviously the warm summer months, spring months, summer into fall, are make it uh, easier for folks to come and then sit and congregate. But you basically like occupy um, it's it's Tompkins Square Park. Is is that right? Tompkins Park is where you're proximate to? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, that's like that's about 300 feet from the restaurant, so it's right there. So that's basically your dining room um, during all sure. of the time. Yeah, there's, have, we, yeah, there's a bunch of planters um, kind of scattered throughout the street, which we refer to as like table 18, table 33. Um, <laughs> so it's basically like, you know, in the winter, winter is hard, obviously, because with only six seats, you know, yeah, uh, you know, it's, you have to have a certain commitment to want to come eat at a place where you, there's a hundred percent chance that you're probably not going to get a seat. You know, so we have pretty amazing regulars that are willing to deal with that, which absolutely love them. But obviously, in the summer, as soon as it gets warm, we're way busier. So, um, and it, you know, we're open all day long. We don't close in the middle of the day for a chunk. So, you know, there we have like times when we're busy at lunch, and then 
time is when it becomes very kind of mellow and civilized. And then other times at night when it becomes complete lunacy, like, like last night was Monday nights are typically really crazy because we do a uh, special sandwich. So we call it tofu fried tofu, which is, uh, it's like, we only do it once a week, really labor intensive, but it's a really, really delicious, awesome little sandwich. So, and we specifically do them on Monday nights because we weren't busy on Monday nights. And then when we started doing this, that made us busy on Monday nights. And that's, you know, that's cool. But uh, it's funny, too, because we used to only, when we first opened, we didn't have enough space um, to prep and store everything. So we were only open from 6 to 10. And a lot of, I would get a lot of flack from people saying like, oh, why aren't you open during the day? Like, you're just, you're only open for four hours a day to make it this exclusive thing, you know. And that's completely false. The only reason we were only open for four hours is because we didn't have enough refrigeration space to store everything. And we had to get our deliveries directly in the dining room, that kind of thing. So people would tell me that, and I'd be like, sort of distraught. It's like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to make this exclusive. I, 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 if it was up to me, we'd be open 24 hours, you know? Um, just because, like, you know, why not sell as much stuff as you can? Well, I want to do a quick shout out. Page 32, uh, 33 of the book, Tofu Fried Tofu. I'm staring at it right now. It is the most delicious looking sandwich. It, it, it harkens to the, you know, the um, currently uh, in vogue uh, chicken sandwich that a lot of folks are, are going for. But this thing looks the, the, the size of the tofu, the, the, the chunk and the um, irregularity of the, the tofu. It looks like there's crevices for the sauce to climb into and the slaw on top. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of dying right now, and I need to come up on a Monday, apparently. Um, but you, you just hit on something that I wanted to um, uh, pick your brain a little bit f- further on. You're still very hands-on in 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 cooking on a, on a on an everyday basis, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I spend eighty hours a week in the restaurant, so right. That's not. I'm so not, I'm not just walking around with a clipboard. Like you know, there's not enough yeah. space for me to do that. So um, <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I I cook all day long too. So so when when did you write the cookbook? Um, after you know, in the middle of the night after service. Um, there's a really the good thing about the restaurant is it's so tiny that it, it doesn't take long to clean at the end of service. So if we close at 10 um, and there's nobody in the restaurant or one person, by 11.15, kitchen's clean, which is a lot faster than, you know, a big fancy restaurant. So right. by 11.30, everyone's gone, um, which is cool because if you work at the restaurant, you're you actually can almost get home on the same day, which is pretty weird. If you, if you're worked at a restaurant that's open for dinner, you almost always get home the next morning. You know, so, um, but there's a special, I call it my special time at the restaurant, which is like, I would say like midnight, even friends, cigar dishwashers finally gone midnight to 2 AM is just, I get to just sit in this like very clean, pristine, empty, quiet restaurant. And that's when I wrote most of the books. So, and I will say, uh, I did not know um, until I, I took a look at your uh, bio and we started talking about your um, English uh, background, you know, that you majored in English. Um, this is a, a, a cookbook that I enjoy reading for, for the, the, the stories um, 
as opposed to like looking to it for instruction about how to make the dishes. I have read three quarters of, of the book and I've read it as, as pleasure reading because um, the stories are great and the way that you um, describe the point of various dishes is great. And they're also like very quick hits. Um, and, and maybe that's also a, a function of the time that you had available. There aren't big, long, lengthy descriptions. Yeah, well, um, is, is that deliberate? Of course. That was completely intentional. The fancy, When I wrote Fancy Desserts, that was like, I wanted to have like really long essays in that and like yeah. stories that kind of like went on. But the whole point of um, the SB book is this is, there isn't even much like back, backstory history of the restaurant. There's just one intro essay that's one page long. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't want to talk about like how we started or like, cause have this like crazy origin story of this thing. I was like, this is a book that's documenting the food and the head notes of each recipe were meant to be really synced, like two, three sentences tops kind of thing. Um, yeah. Just to be, cause that's how that's, that is the vibe of the restaurant. It's like come in, it's really fast, you get the food, you eat it and then you leave. Um, and I really like that because, um, the whole thing with like fancy fine dining restaurants is, are these like tasting menus that go on forever. You know, it's like two, three hours of eating. Um, and I don't know, that's not my scene. <laughs> I, want, well, I, like, you, I like the fact, I like the fact that we can make a bunch of really thought out, um, pretty ambitious food, and then people eat it really fast out of disposable um, containers, and then go on with their day. Like, and I like that as like a New York thing too. Like, it's not, it's not meant to be this commitment of time. Like, you can come in and get one salad, eat it, and go do a bunch of other stuff. You know. Well, I, I have to give a, a quick shout out. You um, tapped your pal Ian Sednonius, the uh, DC local, um, you know, uh, punk rock, legend. hardcore <laughs> indie scene. Yeah, legend, right, right. Uh, um, to to sort of set the stage for what 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 follows, um, and you know, in his inimitable style and phraseology, um, he really sets it up. Uh, you know exactly the way. How, how, how what's the relationship with Ian? Uh, Ian? Ian and I have been buddies for probably like twenty five years now. Twenty five uh, years, right? Kind of like you know, I've loved every single band he's ever been in, every every single book he's ever written. Um, and he also happens to be you know a pretty regular, pretty regular regular at the restaurant because um, he's in New York a lot doing DJ stuff, playing shows. So he always he'll always kind of show up he gets off the bus from DC with his guitar and all his records and so, and like comes into the restaurant and like kind of plops everything on the floor, takes up a bunch of space and, and usually has, has lunch or has dinner. And, you know, that's, that's the best. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, he, when I asked him, I was, asked him, when I asked him if he wanted to write the foreword, he was kind of, he was, he was sort of overjoyed to do it. So, oh. um, and it was, it's not like a, it's not like, uh, some sort of manufactured relationship kind of thing. This is like, this is a guy who loves the restaurant and, you know, wanted to be a part of the book. So pretty cool. Yeah. He, he's your dude. That's awesome. Uh, I told you I was going to do that. Um, this show, uh, this conversation you and I are having right now is going to run on the 4th of July, which is spectacular. Um, 
I'm interested in uh, a couple recipes that you might point folks to. The cookbook is Superiority Burger Cookbook. The vegetarian hamburger is now delicious. If there's a couple recipes in this thing that you would say, if you want to grill out on the 4th of July, because that's the American tradition, what are a couple recipes that folks might look up um, and, and, and try and throw on the grill uh, on the 4th? Well, I mean, maybe not so much on the grill, but the, we have a, a, a vegan potato salad recipe that is yeah. kind of like the perfect, would be a perfect accompaniment to any sort of thing um, that you would be grilling out. Um, it's, it requires you to make a, a vegan mayo, we have a, which we have a recipe for in the book, and which isn't really difficult at all. But okay. um, it's basically, you know, especially 4th of July, at least in most parts of the country, is when your green market is, you know, exploding in terms of like, you know, maybe asparagus and fava beans are gone, but there's zucchini, there's um, there's probably eggplant. If in the fruit realm, there's the peaches have probably started. There still might be strawberries. You know, there's all sorts of awesome stuff, spring onions, um, garlic scapes, stuff like that. So this uh, the potato salad, I would say like, just go look around and whatever herbs and, and vegetables look, green vegetables look amazing. Just grab a bunch of them and then, you know, blanch them, char them, throw them on the grill, and then mix them into the potato salad. And it's going to be a delicious accompaniment thing. Yes. Um, there's there's I, also okay. a, um, another one would be the, there's a kind of like a pastrami style cure on some tofu that oh. you could actually make. And then that would be something you could toss on the grill that would be, be very delicious too. Uh, and I'm looking at that page right now, page 46 slash 47. The picture's beautiful. Um, I, I see in here a recipe for iced and smashed cucumber salad. Um, oh, I yeah. had, that'd be, a, that'd be a good one. Too. Yeah, right. Adam Rappaport came on from uh, Bon Appetit and also a local DC guy came on last yeah. week's show. And we were talking about kind of like this summer's palate. Um, and for whatever reason, the smashed cucumber salad is making appearances uh, on, on menus, and I can't get enough of it. It's like the the, the summer dish. I don't know. Is it, is it uh, a current thing, or has this been around for a while? Um, well, I mean, that's, that's what, that was one of our first specials, like, talking, we're talking three years ago. So, yeah. But, yeah, there's something really satisfying texturally about smashing up cucumbers and icing them as opposed to chopping them in like kind of perfect slices, you know? Yeah. I, think, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the nooks and then the, the, the chilling of it. it. It it just feels like kind of juicier and almost meatier. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, smash, smash, uh, smash cucumber dishes are like, you know, all over the world. There's different regions that have their own version. Um, the version in the book, we use kind of like a, yogurt dress brown rice and with the cucumbers into it and uh really in the end tastes like this crazy sort of chicken salad even though there's no chicken in it then there's no fake chicken in it it's just cucumbers and rice so yeah so good so good i love it um i want to ask you one last question um and that has to do with the italian green onion pancake because i saw that in the book and I'm dying to make it, but there it looks like it requires a deft touch, and I'm worried about busting up the you know in, in, in the jelly roll twisting. So help help me figure out how to to, right. to do well, that's, that's, the twisting that's, that's of that. Definitely thing. one of the more 
more complicated recipes in the book. I, I like to think that like pretty much everything in the book is, we don't have any special equipment at the restaurant. So yeah, anything that's in the book, you can make at home. Uh, I mean, basically that recipe is a scallion pancake, but instead of using Asian flavorings in it, we kind of swapped them all out for Italian seasonings like fennel seed and parsley and chili flake and stuff like that. So it's, it almost tastes, has kind of like a garlic bread vibe. Um, but yeah, the, 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 there is, the, that is one of the, res- the recipes that Deft Touch is a good way to put it because if you, you got to get it just right. Otherwise you, you lose the like flaky quality, which is what makes it so good. So, Okay. So the, the point there is to go F it up a few times and figure it out sure. by, by hand, you know, the, w- the way that, that people cook when you're, when you're trying to learn something new and you want to get it right, you go ahead and mess well, it up sure. four or five times, right? Yeah, because I mean, any any sort of cooking is it's all about repetition and getting it right. I mean, like currently we've been working on a um, no, it's not in the book, but we've been working on kind of like our friend developed this focaccia recipe for us, oh. and we've been practicing it for almost a year now. And it's a kind of it's a really long ferment, and it it's, it requires definitely a deft touch over the course of a few days to make it, and even when it comes down to like getting it in the oven, but you know, it, 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 it's taken us nearly 365 days of making one every single day to get to the point where we're almost ready to sell it. So, Oh, how exciting is this? So well, like, we're going to see it this summer. Eh, I don't know. It, it depends when it's ready. It, it might not be ready. We, <laughs> right. we okay. go phases where we finally capture it and then we lose it. Again. So when it's, when it's, as opposed to a lot of the dishes, even that are in the cookbook, like, these are things that we came up with really quickly and felt good about and sold them, put them, put the recipes in the book, but something like bread, bread is its own really different animal because it's, you're dealing with only a couple of things trying to make this thing. It's like I was saying at the beginning, like making, make a thing that absolutely does not exist. You know, you've got flour, you've got water, you know, how do you take that and turn it into this like beautiful air? Yeah, well, that that it's kind of a good segue. You warn everybody in the book um, that the, the the it won't be a perfect marriage between the recipes in the book and what's available at the restaurant. That there are going to be things at the restaurant that are that are available um, that are not reflected in the book. I'm interested in hearing what is on the menu this week at Superiority Burger. Oh, right now we've got a uh, there's a. Our, one of our favorite farmers, uh, farms, Campbell Ranch, Chris and Jesse, they sell at the Green Market on Fridays, Union Square. They're based at their farms in, in Pennsylvania. They had they grow the most amazing uh, chicories, radicchio, Castro Franco, escarole, and oh. um, most of it most of it grows in the fall when it's cooler. But they yeah. have a little pop. They have a little pop at the end of June where they have the summer chicories, and they're delicious. They're totally, totally amazing. So right now. People always ask me, oh, what's your favorite thing on the menu? And it's usually whatever is new. And new meaning like the past three days because things change around so much. But right now yeah. we have a chicory salad, which is a mix of those uh, leaves with um, some cured raw rhubarb, which is just rhubarb that we soak in some salt and sugar. Don't cook it so it stays kind of crunchy. Um, and then we make a rhubarb vinaigrette from that. So it's kind of got a tartness to it. And then some shaved uh, raw zucchini, and then really just sea salt and pepper. 
Um, oh my God. And it's absolutely, totally delicious. It's, it's not your typical summer salad. Um, and in general, like Oz zucchini can be kind of watery and sort of boring, but Campo Rosso grew all these zucchini for us too. So it's oh, like, ha- it's really like, it's really like a celebration of the stuff that we got from these guys at the market. You know, they, they yeah. delivered a, a bunch of stuff to us this morning. I'm totally psyched. So, so how much, how much of the, uh, how long will that be on the menu? Something like that, that'll be on the menu as long as we can still get the chicories, which okay, well, might might be another couple of weeks, might be yeah. another three weeks, or you know, when they're gone, they're gone, and then we move on to something else. Yeah, I'm I'm telling the taste buds, the hungry homies out there, if you're in New York City, get yourself to 430 East 9th Street, Lower East Village, get over to Superiority Burger, obviously order a burger, and then get this beautiful chicory that Brooks Headley is describing to us. The cookbook is Superiority Burger Cookbook. The vegetarian hamburger is now delicious. Brooks Headley, thank you for coming on today, my man. Right on. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. All right, my culinary comrades. Humongous thanks to Brooks Headley. I hope that I did not mac out too much but he is kind of a hero the superiority burger cookbook is out now get on amazon go to your local bookstore support your local bookstore go get this beautiful cookbook the pictures are outstanding the recipes are delectable especially because all this produce is in season check it out my thanks to brooks headley get that cookbook now Taste Buds, quick word from our pals at Diet Coke. You know that they are shaking things up with a bold new look and four delicious flavors. These are flavors that work for the summer. The OG Diet Coke still has the same great taste. Feel free to enjoy that. But now Diet Coke has added the feisty cherry, the twisted mango, the zesty blood orange, and the ginger lime to the mix. These are all great summer flavors. There are flavors so bold you will not be able to pick one favorite. I, my own self, am enjoying occasionally a late night snack. I'm not going to name names. There is a particular pretzel. There is a particular uh, uh, cheesy bite. This delicious ginger lime is a wonderful accompaniment to my late night snack. Whether you are a longtime fan or just want to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste. You'll see what we're talking about. Diet Coke because you can. Taste Buds Today's show also brought to you by our long-standing good friends at Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, Taste Buds, you are going to love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means they're helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at hotels you actually want to stay in. No more scrolling through endless lists of choices. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can book in advance. Perfect for planners and procrastinators alike. Hotel Tonight is perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. Very, very easy to use. You book hotels in 10 seconds. It's three taps and a swipe once you've made your choice. They have a perks program as well, where the more you book, the better the deals get. That's the H. T Perks program. Get the Hotel Tonight app now 
to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need, my hungry homies. Oh, yeah, taste buds. Here we go. It is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet! Happy 4th of July! Happy Independence Day! Here we are! We're here! We're free, kinda. It's not exactly a food holiday, the 4th of July. But it's not not a food holiday. It's not not a food holiday, and it's a great holiday to um, really just let loose with the entire summer menu. Like, nothing is off the table. If you we we have you know the the guest of this week is is Brooks Headley from Superiority Burger um, up there Lower East Side sure and his cookbook um, has in it all these outstanding uh, like you know vegan and vegetarian recipes all of that food is so good right now now's the time for delicious it's like fresh cool sides yeah I, I right yeah absolutely. Um, you know where they have a really that's really good, and you just made me want it is at um, Richard Blaze's Chicken Place, where they have that really good slaw. I'm like now I'm craving that now that you mention it. Oh, crack shack. Yes, the crack need, shack. I'm, I'm getting Blaze back on, and we we need to have him back on. I might have to see him this year. Ooh, I'm coming back out to San Diego in the fall. Might have to get together with Brother Blaze. I'll meet you there. You have to come. We're gonna. You have to come down. We'll eat all the slaw. Okay, great. I'm in. I'm in, yeah. man. Yeah, it's time. It's like for time for refreshing food. Some, like you said, some coleslaw, some good, good, good guac, potato salad, all of the sides. I love sides. Dip, sides are part of the dips and desserts lifestyle. So I. Oh, like, that's a great point. I like this. Like this right holiday. up your alley. Yeah, exactly. Do you know that I, I asked um, Brooks whether the, there's this like crushed cucumber thing that's going around right now. Ooh. It's all the rage. I'm seeing it everywhere. It's cold cucumbers, slightly smashed. It's a smashed cucumber thing, and you can gussy it up however you like. A little bit of uh, sesame oil, uh, if you want to go crazy with a little sriracha, how, whatever direction you want to take it. But that cool crunch that's been slightly softened, so it's not um, a super hard bite down. That's that's a thing. It's going around. I talked about it with Rappaport last week. I love all cucumber sides, too. I love a, like a, an Asian cucumber salad. Yes. I, I love all of it. Right. Okay. I'm hungry. Me too. Fourth of July. <laughs> I am hungry as well. But I are you thirsty? Because the first piece of food news relates to a non-alcoholic beverage. It happens oh. happens to do with Los Angeles and LeBron James. <laughs> well, we got to begin with that story. <laughs> that yeah. is the right story to begin with. Yesterday morning at eight thirty Los Angeles time, I received a press release in my email, and it said Savannah James and K Plus Organics, and this is what it said: With the exciting news that LeBron James is going to the West Coast to play for the Lakers, I'm sure you're wondering how this has to do with food news. Just you wait. This is exciting. This is exciting news. Keep going. We wanted to share one of the mo- one of the important factors behind the decision: K Plus Organics, the organics kids drink that Savannah James co-owns and is an investor in. Savannah's desire to build her business, K Plus Organics, which is based in Los Angeles, as well as her desire to raise her family there, were two big reasons behind the James choice to move to LA. And then it goes on about the drink. Uh, Savannah was inspired to join the company to help provide a better, healthier option for kids to refuel after their workouts as she knows the lack of healthy products for children in the supermarket aisle. So this is basically Gatorade for kids with the James family brand on it. It better not have too much sugar in it. But before we get there, how about this press release? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it really, I, I, 
I have no doubt that Savannah was a crucial, an instrumental, an elemental part of the decision, right? Oh, of course. She's telling LBJ, look, son, uh, we've been together a long time. Uh, Whatever happens next, I want it to be a great moment in our lives. The boys are reaching a certain age. I want you to be able to spend more time with them. Bronny is out there balling. Balling. I want you to be able to see him. And by the way, I have my thing. I have my thing, LBJ. What do you think she calls him? Um, Bron. 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 I have my I have my thing. It's what's the name? K juice. K plus organics. K plus. You know I'm getting K plus going, Bron. Let's get out to LA. Those people want the K plus. There's got to be a couple. I know there's a couple Blaze pizzas out oh, yeah. there that Bron's keeping an eye on, right? Oh yes, definitely. I'm just I'm, I I love how assertive um, the press release is. I know it's so authoritative. It's like yeah, she got in here and she said, "Look, we're going to LA," and he's like, "Okay, we're going to LA." It's happening. I mean, she's interested in the beverage space. When they moved to Miami, she opened a juice store called the Juice Spot, and it was there for like two reasons, and then. They closed it when she went back to Miami or like a year after that. But I guess this is her thing. She's into the beverage space. And who who can blame her? I love beverages. Me too. I think the beverage space is ripe for constant innovation, constant disruption. I thought for a long time that the, um, what, what what's the one called? Zero, what, the water that, that LeBron um, actually was one of the original investors in. Oh, I don't know. I know about body armor. It's not that though, is it? No, no, old old school, old oh. school, uh, you know, at Vita Water. Oh, Vita Water. Water, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to drink the hell out of that when I was, you know, uh, uh, back in my playing days. I'd run ball and then I would need something to replace and Gatorade felt like it had, you know, too much going on. I wanted something a little lighter, a little cleaner. And then I would drink the hell out of those Vita Waters. Then I, I got a little bit older and I came to understand how much sugar was in those yeah. things. I was like, ah, so not much. the best, you- not the best. As an adult, the only time I feel I can really drink Gatorade, I love orange Gatorade, and it's only acceptable in dire hangover situations. And <laughs> anything else, it's not allowed. <laughs> it's so It doesn't have to be dire. Any hangover feels like it's okay to have the orange That's Gatorade. True. That's but true. I am right on board with you. It really is. I mean, Pedialyte is taking it to a whole other level. I don't want to be – I'm not prepared at this stage of my life to confess that I have an alcohol problem, so I'm not <laughs> going to drink the Pedialyte as part of the thing. But orange Gatorade feels right down the middle. Nobody can look askance at me yeah. walking out with a, a giant orange Gatorade. If it's available at literally every gas station in America, then it's fine. That's right. We're on the same page. Um, since you asked, they say in this press release that K-plus has half the amount of sugar of a leading sports drink. It's USDA organic certified, and it's around 70 calories with 14 grams of sugar per 16.9 ounce bottle. So that is pretty low for six. That's reasonable. That's yeah. I, I think they're going to kill it. I'm not kidding. They're starting in LA is quite brilliant, and you know, wonder who do we have to talk to to get her on the show? I'm I won't give up until we do. I, prom- well, I we, promise we need, you that. I I don't want to. Uh, you know, I I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I also want um, Steph Curry's wife. Oh my god, the, me too, Aisha. Yeah, Aisha and, and and her cooking show. I mean, there's, I've seen a couple of her recipes. Now she's very the the recipes I've seen too complicated. Um, well, and they're in a different direction. They're not exactly low calorie. No. Uh, now she does go healthful as well, but she everything I've seen is very much in a comfort yes. direction. So yes. we'll have to just discuss that with her. I know we're she we'll get her too. She has a TV Savannah, show. Savannah first, then Aisha. Absolutely, just kind of like the order of of the superstars. You know, LeBron first, <laughs> then Steph. <laughs> kind of, kind of makes sense. Kind of. Um, moving north to Seattle. 
Seattle this past Sunday. We like Seattle. Yes, yeah. very, very much so. Great city. Great food. Uh, Great Seattle food. on Sunday became the first major U.S. city to ban drinking straws, an environmentally friendly move that leaders hope will spark a nationwide conversation about small everyday changes that people can make to protect the planet. A decade ago, the city adopted an ordinance requiring that all one-time-use food service items be compostable or recyclable, but straws and other utensils utensils were exempted from that law because there were not many good alternatives. So the straws stayed. However, Strawless Ocean, which is the uh, company that was campaigning against them, says that they can ruin a good load of recycling otherwise. Strawless Ocean estimated that 71% of seabirds and and 30% of turtles have some kind of plastic in their stomachs. That's horrible. So now customers are crazy. I know. (laughs) And customers at grocery stores, restaurants, food trucks, even institutional cafeterias have to find another way to get liquid into their mouths. Compostable paper and plastic straws are allowed under the ban. So the paper straw era has arrived in Seattle. And by the way, this story is from the Washington Post. Your hometown paper. My hometown. Hometown paper. Paper of record here in the DMV. I'm wondering when Starbucks will move to the paper straw uh, nationally. They're going to have to do it in That's Seattle. That's the big move. Yeah. Once, right. it, once Starbucks does it, then it's real. That, you're 100% right. I um, will confess that I didn't really know or understand, comprehend how um, impactful. Uh, I know that there are these like giant floating plastic entities out in the ocean. Yeah. like Some the, of the, which the, are. The great are, garbage are, patch. Yes, massive in size, right? Like the size of half of a state or something, perhaps. Yes. Or, yeah, it's huge. I don't. I like the scale of it um, was kind of mind-boggling, but I didn't uh, correlate the, um, the 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 drinking straws with with that you know plastic morass, um, and it it makes a ton of sense. And you know they are single use, so like let's. We can do better. Let's do better. Yeah. I'm fine with that. There's I, nothing wrong. I, paper straws are fine. Totally. And like, I sometimes linger over a beverage. It'll just encourage me to drink it faster, which is probably for the best. <laughs> the only thing that I ask is that um, the straw innovators out there with these uh, biodegradable straws, just, just please try and give me something that I can chew. Mm. I mean, I know that that is a, a one of the elements of of a plastic straw that I particularly have grown fond of. Uh, especially my older age. I just like to chew. I have a little Coke. I drink it off the top where the ice is coldest. It's coming through the, in, the, in the straw. I like to chew the straw a little bit, hit a Coke, a couple French fries, bite a burger. You know, that little routine right there. If I could still have that, that, that chew as part of our straw innovation. That's my modest request. If it can't be done, I'll accept it. I like the greater good. I support the greater good. But if I could make a, a small request, that would be my request. I, I'm right there with you. I just want to let you know that um, in March, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was estimated to be three times the size of France. That's uh, Oh, my God. That's <laughs> bigger than a state. There ain't no states that are three sizes the times of France. Or maybe is Alaska three times the size of France? Uh, unclear. Let's keep it moving. Six, <laughs> 617,000 square miles. It's really rough. It's really horrible. We're not. Where gonna, is that? It's in like I think the um, Pacific, the South Pacific. I believe. Like you can see it, right? You can yeah. see it from satellite. You, yes. you know, it's very, Gosh, it's it. very real. It's horrible. This is crazy. It's right in the middle of the Pacific. It's like it's in a, it's in a dead zone that you would never go to. Really bad. I love the Pacific Ocean. Protect our oceans. I, I love the ocean. Um, We're on board. We're on the same page. We got to go positive because that was a real downer. But this is some good news, also relating to you in Washington D.C. Yeah. Leon, the UK-based chain, is coming to America. 
In early aughts, consumers were losing their faith in in fast food, or at least that's how John Vincent remembers it. Eric Schlosser had released his book, Fast Food Nation, which was a damning look at the quick service industry. And at the same time, consumers were increasingly embracing the Mediterranean diet as a more healthful alternative to burgers and fries. John Vincent saw it as an opportunity for a different kind of chain serving naturally fast food. So he created the restaurant concept Leon and opened the first location in London in 2004. The brand was built around five principles. The food had to taste incredibly good, be remarkably good for you, allow you to feel good after you eat it, because sometimes with the fast food you don't always, which is certainly true, I can attest, and be affordable and kind to the planet. Now, after much success in Europe, he's venturing to the U.S. with plans to open a Leon in Washington, D.C. this summer. Hey, now. Hey, Hey, now. now. I'm keeping my eyes out for my Leon. (laughs) The menu will be the same as it is in Europe, at least at first. That includes breakfast of porridge, pots, and fair trade, organic coffee, a lunch and dinner menu of hot boxes, which is wraps and burgers with Leon's popular baked fries, juice, lemonade, kefir kefir smoothies, and much more. It sounds really delicious. Oh, pardon me. Well, I I like this idea of um, the fresh local ingredients. That's very appealing. Um, The price point seems kind of, you know, fair enough. The thing that I wonder about is how how do they distinguish themselves? Because, you know, the, the, the fast casual market here in the States and especially in D.C. has grown quite sophisticated, I would say, over like the last decade or so. You can get a lot of like, you know, niche um, uh, cuisines, the Mediterranean, uh, Indian, uh, you know, in in a in a fast casual setting where you can Korean, there's a soul spice. There are Lebanese munchies. There are all these places you can go. Kava is my favorite. I was going to ask go if you into, like kava. I like kava a lot too. I love kava. I, yeah. love, I mean, you can. I love the customization. The ingredients always taste fresh. Everything feels like it. It's relatively. I don't know whether it's 100% local, but it it can't have come from very far because of how fresh everything is. Um, and I just wonder how, how does Leon distinguish itself? Um, because what they're describing here in terms of their offering doesn't necessarily, you know, strike me as completely out of nowhere. Like, oh, well, you know, you can't get this anywhere. Right. I do. There is a halloumi wrap and that, that that will be my first, that's going to be my first thing. The first thing that goes in my mouth from Leon is going to be a delicious Halloumi wrap. I love halloumi. Sometimes I make it at home. You can buy it at Trader Joe's. Um, I love it. I'm not going to get a porridge pot. No. Uh, that sounds way too much. I mean, it's it's freaking Independence Day. I'm not <laughs> going. We have declared our independence. You know, the porridge pot may work over in, in, in London. I, I hope it works here because uh, I like the idea of additional um, healthy alternatives here. But like Moroccan meatballs, I can already get kind of a pretty great Mediterranean-style meatball at Cava. So is it, you know, what's really going to set this thing apart? Cava and Chipotle aren't that fast if the line is long. And I think this seems like it'll be faster. That's like It'll a, be that's, faster. Yeah, okay. it'll be faster and I think maybe a little bit cheaper. It says apparently the average check in the UK is only $7.50 in dollars, not even in pounds. So I think it could be cheaper and faster. I'm excited to try it. I, the pictures, the picture is incredible, and the food looks terrifically fresh. It's very appealing. There's a lot of colors to it, especially in, on, on an episode here where we talked to Brooks Headley about uh, his cookbook and and you know all of the the varieties of, of kind of uh, vegan and vegetarian based the, the the beautiful greens, the beautiful reds, the beautiful oranges. Um, I'm 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 into the I'm in 
the summer palette is a color palette. Totally. I'm on it. Me I'm on it. Look at these peaches. Oh, so Peaches, good. nectarines, even beautiful tomatoes here in California. The produce has been so good in, in LA. It's just been a, a delight. Well, I'm not going to get to enjoy any of the produce in LA, I don't think. But we are going to be doing some eating this week, Juliet. Out in Las Vegas, Hell, Nevada. Yeah, we'll be am, at, am I right about this? Yes, we will be at Caesar's Palace and we'll be doing some food activities. You'll hear all about it on House of Carbs next week, I assume. I can't wait. Yeah, then we're going to be uh, belly sourcing all weekend long. There's going to be tons and tons of belly takeover activity at the House of Carbs Instagram, at House from DC. I'll throw some stuff up, no doubt. At the Ringer. Oh, yes. At SportGuy33, it's S-P-T-G-U-Y-33. Bill Simmons is going to be throwing up some stuff. We're just going to go to Vegas and watch basketball and eat. And my main goal is to survive. I can't wait. Me either. See you there, House. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Juliet. See you in a couple of days. Bye. My famished friends, there we go. Another outs. Standing House of Carbs in the books. Hope everybody is enjoying the long weekend that comes from having a holiday in the middle of the week. I, I hope you're like me. Just take Thursday and Friday off. Enjoy your Wednesday and take the rest of it off. And grill, grill, grill. You can grill both meat and go meatless with all the outstanding recipes in the Superiority Burger Cookbook. And... Be on the lookout at the House of Carbs, at House from D.C., at SportGuy33, at The Ringer, all of those Instagrams, all of those Twitters. We are in Las Vegas covering the NBA Summer League and covering a lot of food. Check us out. But until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>